Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter, not, excuse me, not Easter season anymore, it is past ascension. So a blessed Friday to all of you this May the 27th as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 5. It is a, a, a chapter that we might often just overlook. He might say, ah, bunch of confusing names, I'm just going to move on to the next chapter. However, as we know that God's word is true, it's inspired, and there's always a way of seeing the depth of riches that our Lord has given to us. So may we look upon this again. We will know the names Methuselah, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, all these individuals. We will rehash them today. And as God knew their name, guess what? He knew, knows, knew and knows yours. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Doug Minton of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois. Pastor Minton, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for having me back, Brady. Yeah, so Pastor, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Our Savior? Well, we are getting to the end of the school year. I, my oldest son is back from his freshman year of college. My younger daughter is finishing up her junior year of high school. So they're getting into the summer mindset and the work of the saints that our saviors just keeps going on, reaching out and with the love of, of with the love of our savior to the community around us. And Pastor, it's kind of fun, you know. Uh, we were talking prior to the broadcast today, and and you you know, there's always connections somewhere. That my father, from 1974 to 1979, served a church nearby yours in Ashgrove and Cisna Park. At least that area, and Milford is right next door. So um, I've been there a number of times, and so I don't want to say be careful what you say, but it's amazing the connections that God's word brings to us all the time. Because how far away are you from uh, Ashgrove and Sissa Park? I'm about 12 miles from Ashgrove. There you go. Wow. Just, just straight straight down the road. <laughs> Very good. I remember going there as a kid and never understanding why I was there. Because I was born up in Minnesota and my parents were there. Lovely folks. They still There's still some people that keep in contact with our family. And so the Lord's blessings to you in that area as you serve and bring the word of God to God's people. So, Pastor, on that note, as we pray for one another, can you begin our time as we study Genesis 5, and can you begin it in prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this text that you put before us today. We know that your word is inspired and that everything has a purpose for it. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds to see this purpose, especially among the genealogies here, that we may not only see just a boring list of names, but to see your plan of salvation even promised through this lineage. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text this morning, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, we're just going to kind of talk first about this text because we often will just kind of overlook it. 
So, you know, it's like, oh, genealogy is like kind of reading your family history that you might read some of the highlights and, but overall you kind of, some people might call it a snore fest. However, as you mentioned in prayer, I love how you said it is, this is the inspired word of God. So what are, what are some things that you want to highlight to make sure that we keep focus and don't overlook this wonderful chapter? Well, first, there are two reasons I have found in looking at this chapter for why it's even here in the first place. Mm. The first one, we go back to the last couple of verses from yesterday's chapter in chapter four, where, and I, I think this probably ought to be in chapter five, but right. I'm not the one who divided up the chapters. <laughs> True. But you get Adam's. Uh, knowing his wife Eve again and having Seth. And then that last line in chapter four, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And this is, this is a list of the beginnings of those people who called upon the name of the Lord. And as we'll go through with each of the names, there is, as I also said, the prayer, an aspect of God's plan of salvation passed down from generation to generation. And although many times we just think names are names, this is definitely one of those times where names mean something. And then the second one is one of the first, I think it's the, the third word in the Hebrew, you know, that, that word generations. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's toledoth, which is about the extent of my Hebrew. I can read it and look at it. But this word is only used by Moses throughout the entire Old Testament. Hmm. And it's there ten times in the book of Genesis to mark off the different sections of it. So we have it in chapter 2, where it goes into the creation story once again, and especially focusing on the creation of man. We have it here as we go from Adam to get ready for the flood. Then at the beginning of the flood in chapter 6, we have it again. After the flood, when we get into all the nations beyond that spread out from Noah's three sons, and then on and on down through the generations, marking the different places where important things are happening in the story of God's salvation of his people. And so tell us more about why that word is important. Like I, I love to highlight that this only time it's used is with Moses in these words. But can you expand on that a little bit more? Why is that important? Well, that, that's important because he is the, even when we have other times where the word generations is used in the Old Testament, it's a different word. Mm. It's, this, this is a word that even when Moses used it to you know, talk about you know, all the succeeding generations of blessings and curses and all of that, it's a different word that he uses. Hmm. And it, he uses it as almost a technical word to say, okay, as I'm writing this, this is kind of like in the Gospels where you have the behold, or the truly, truly I say to you. Ah. It's like, okay, you need to pay attention to what's going on here. It might not be the most exciting chapter and section, but it's important. And that's where, I like how you highlighted, like you said, we could have easily had 25 and 26 in this reading. And to end like it did in chapter 4, at that time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. 
that this is a really an extension of faith, a theme that we'll see throughout Genesis, is that understanding of that this book of generations of Adam, there's a faith component to this, that people are calling upon in the name of the Lord, and this is what the Lord was doing through these individuals by name. And so that, that okay, now I have to rethink how I'm going to um, lead this study because you just brought up a very good point that I hadn't considered. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks be to God for that insight and the knowledge of, of, of who, of the importance of this chapter as well. Anything else you want to highlight before we dig in? Well, that's it for overall. As we get to each of the generations, uh, we'll have a little bit more to say about each of them. Got it. So let's, get, let's dig in here. We are reading Genesis chapter 5 from the English Standard Version, and I'll just begin with the first five verses. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam are after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Pastor... This was fascinating to me. I want to hear your thoughts. Is, you know, we'll read the, the creation account, and then we go to parts of the Gospels, I think it's Matthew 19, when Jesus brings back again this understanding of Adam and Eve being created. And if someone were asking me, where is another place where it speaks about Adam and Eve, you know, being created, if they were to say, where else is that? I don't think Genesis 5 would have come up in my mind. That's what was really fascinating to me. Any thoughts on why Moses inserts that here once again, or, or any other thoughts you have on those verses? Well, I think as he talks about the birth of each successive generation, that he has to start with, okay, what, where did Adam come from? Even, okay, he's had the first four chapters and the story of Adam and creation and that, it's a reminder again that, okay, we start with Adam, who was created in the likeness of God. And then as chapter 4 began, uh, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and you know bore a son in his own image. Mm-hmm. And so we have this, again, talking about the image being, uh, being passed down, not the image that he was first created in, but the fallen image that then each of us continue to have handed down to us and our generation that follow after us. And so he quickly and briefly goes through, okay, where Adam came from. So he can get to, okay, Adam was the father of Seth. And Seth has a very interesting story, although it's only contained in these handful of verses at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, and that's all we get to know about him. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot more than we get to know about most of the rest of the generation we're going to talk about today. But as I said, the names are important. So like the name Seth means, and probably covered this yesterday, mm-hmm. means substitute. Yeah. And you know, there, that there is to be a substitute as Seth was the substitute for Abel, whom Cain had killed. But also, when we talk about substitutes, as we go through the Bible, and having our Christ goggles on, 
Jesus is our substitute. We go through all the sacrifices and everything, but truly, he is the one who becomes man and to for the sole purpose of being our substitute in death. And it's very interesting, this is the first thing that we get to in this genealogy going through getting us to the people that will then bring us Jesus later on. So we're we're making a connection, and I don't know if I've heard this either. I'm sure someone told me I just had forgotten or didn't pay attention clear enough, is to be able to see Seth as a substitute, which we have highlighted here in this program, is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. So we're already getting uh, an appetizer, if you will, that's kind of how I like to say it, of, of Christ right there in Seth, that God keeps his promises. He's a substitute for Abel. And, and also we then are pointed straight to Jesus, who is our substitute for the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation. Um, I Boy, I don't know. Pastor, have you, have you heard that very often, of, of the Seth as kind of a, a type of Christ? That, that is, I don't think I've heard that very often. It's not very often pointed out. Right. Uh, I am a... Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a fan, but I enjoy some of the extra-biblical literature, which there is an abundance of, especially for once we get into Enoch. But uh, uh, one, of, one of the books of Enoch has this idea kind of mapped out a little better of pointing Seth to the coming Savior. Mm. But in, I think he, if I remember right, he does it in contradistinction to Eve giving birth to Cain and saying that I have gotten a man from the Lord. Ah, right. But you know, it didn't work for Cain. You know, Cain wasn't the right one. Seth isn't either, but he's closer. Yeah, okay. Okay, very good. And this is just a reminder for all you listeners. We continually say on this program, and all of KFUO, that put on your Christ goggles and this is not something where we're going to like take Seth and put him at the same level of Christ, but proving that all the time the Lord, through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is always pointing us to Christ. And we see that with Seth. Pastor, anything else in those first five verses you want to highlight? Well, the only other you know, interesting tidbit is usually the confirmation question is, okay, where did Cain get his wife? You guys probably talked about it yesterday. Now, where did Seth get his wife? And the best answer, which always, which I always love to have siblings in confirmation class together, mm-hmm. but you know they married their sisters, and this is kind of the tag along that Moses has that you know, and Adam had other sons and daughters. Uh, Josephus picks this up in his uh, Antiquities of the Jews to cite the ancient Jewish tradition that Adam and Eve had 150 children. Hmm. You know, 75 boys, 75 girls. Which, any mothers out there who are worried about, you know, even maybe the one that they have, thinking about 150, <laughs> I think this is one of the reasons why we have, like, Adam here living 930 years. Is that to take that time to start especially an explosive blessing and fulfilling of the promise to fill the earth you can't you can't just do it with 
I mean, you could with Kane and his wife and Seth and his wife, but you would need a larger population to make that filling of the earth possible. And this is, how do you say it? It is fascinating to think about this in the sense of the need of a mother and father to raise their children that clearly God would not have given Adam and Eve a child and just said, okay, all right, let's, let's get another one out. Let's get another one out. I'll do it very quickly, but would have given them time to raise this child in, in, you know, in the instruction of the Lord and would have taken that time as our bodies now, you know, still need to take time between babies. And even if you have children right away, you still need that time. And God was given that time for them to raise these children. If indeed it was 150, of course, we don't know for sure, but, there's, I mean, who live 930 years, it's a very good chance that would have happened. And so that is, a, you know, because most of the time, Pastor, you sit in confirmation or even Sunday morning Bible study and you go through this text and you're just, you're just trying to point people to Jesus and, wow, Seth is a substitute and what do people ask? Well, wait a second, how did Adam live 930 years? What's going on? And then all of a sudden you spend the rest of the hour talking about... <laughs> The different theories out there. So, Pastor, anything else you want to share? We don't have to spend an hour on it. But any thoughts on how did Adam live so long? I like how you explained that, which makes a lot of sense throughout Scripture. But any other thoughts before we move on? Well, I think I think the only major thing we can truly say with certainty is that God had blessed the people before the before the flood with long lives. Mm-hmm. But then, as you'll get to on. Monday with a much more exciting chapter. <laughs> you know, God, God says, you know, my my spirit will not, uh, how does he say it? Will not, will not dwell with, will not abide a man forever. Uh, his days shall be 120 years. Right. Yep. So we get, we get with the judgment of the flood. We get okay. You know, we're going to have a stark shortage of lifespan coming in. Now, you get to it, and you see there are instances throughout Genesis where people live more than 120 years, but again, that's all by God's blessing. Right. Because truly, it doesn't matter if they live one day or 969 years like Methuselah. Every day is a blessing from God. And and thanks be to God for that. Uh, So let's move on here, Pastor. So far, we have Adam and Eve. Made in the likeness of God, they then had Seth, the substitute, pointing us to Christ. And now we move on. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and other, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Then Enosh had lived 90 years. He fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Pastor, there's not a lot in there, but I, you know, we're trying to separate everything. We have Seth, we got Enosh, and we got Kenan. Any thoughts on those few verses? Well, we've got a couple of things going here. Um, we have names that are very similar, because I believe, uh, I believe Cain had a son, Enish, as well. 
and then uh, oh no, he had Enoch, which is close mm-hmm. to Enoch, and that then close. there's another Enoch down the line. So that's true. We're 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 going to find out quickly that you know, even even then when it was just you know a couple of generations, names were still used over and over again. But Enish here shows us again that the the name Enish means man, and so we have Seth the substitute fathering Enish the man. And some will say, okay, I'm trying to put Jesus too much in here, but hopefully by the end of the hour, people will be like, okay, no, no, it's exactly the way it ought to be read. But that's, that's also by the Lord's blessing if I get that accomplished. <laughs> but we have, Enish, we have Enish showing that, okay, the substitute will also be a man. Now, it won't be a sacrifice as they were doing already with calling upon the name of the Lord, but that there was the sacrifice that is promised back in Genesis 3 with after the fall of Adam and the crushing of the serpent's head, that that, that there would be a sacrifice involved with that. But now we have that, you know, this sacrifice would be a substitute and would be a man pointing out very early on that uh, the Incarnation is very well rooted in the Old Testament. Not that everybody sees it, because as we get into the Gospels, people are trying to figure out Jesus being God and man and doing all that stuff. But then probably the uh, one that kind of stretches it the most would be Kenan. Kenan's name most closely goes to the word uh, in Hebrew for fixed. Like when God fixed the stars in the sky to be the signs for seasons and days and years and all that. But also, again, this idea of this whole thing has all been fixed by God. That it is a promise that is continuing to be brought down through the generation. And that it's not changing. But it's the promise is staying the same. And we'll see that as we go through all the books of the generations throughout Genesis, is that the names change, situations change, but the promise of salvation continues to be the one constant through the whole thing. And so as we look at this, uh, yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot to consider as you were saying that, um, because... It is, uh, the connections to Christ are absolutely everywhere, and his promises are true throughout. And I want to just highlight highlight this reality that these names are people. So when I read a lineage of, for example, the Finners, or my mother's side, the Wilkening side, you go down the list, and and sometimes we can kind of just flow through those names, but we don't think about the lives that were lived. You know, that that Enosh was a living and breathing human being that the Lord had named. You know, that the Lord knew. And then you go down down the list and some names we might not know as well. And that's important for us because he knows our name. And Pastor, why is that important that we, one, remember that these names are not just names. They are real people. 
but also that the Lord knows our name. Why is that important for us as Christians? Well, because it gives us that certainty of God's love for us. I mean, we can go through John three sixteen for God to love the world and keep it like somewhat abstract. Hmm. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm a part of the world, but you know, I'm a very insignificant part. One of my favorite hymns to sing for All Saints Day is we sing for all the un, unsung saints. Because you know, we, we can go through and we can, you know, we know Abraham, we know Adam and Eve, we know Noah, we know his sons, and we can pick out all these great, huge saints that are like larger than life many times. But we also realize, and one, one of the great things about chapter 5 and when, and when you get to chapter 10 later on after the flood. No, there are many, many more saints that we don't necessarily know the names or the lives of. Just like if Jesus tarries for another century, most people are not going to remember either you or I. We're just going to be names on lists, whether it's lists of previous pastors of this congregation, a family lineage, anything like that. We're we're going to end up likely just being named ourselves. And in this world, that is the way it's going to be. But the fact that God knows our name, that you know, the God who created everything cares enough about us to know our name and to give us his name in baptism, that really grounds us as to this is very important. This is truly the greatest gift that God could give to us. So let's keep moving forward, but first we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 5 with Pastor Doug Minton, um, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 5 with Pastor Doug Minton at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois. Pastor, we've gotten through the first 11 verses, which has been all lineage, and we will continue to do so, but there's a lot of gems here. So anything else before we move on, um, verses 1 through 11? No, I think we can move on. Very good. So let's continue in verse 12. When Kenan had lived 70 years... He fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years 
and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we, we have to wait on Enoch because that's the natural place we want to go in this text. But we have other individuals and their lineages. Anything before we get to, uh, get to Enoch, anything you want to highlight? You know, one of the great things that often also gets uh, overlooked in this is just the continuity of things, is that as we get down to even Enoch being born and fathering Methuselah, I had this drawn out years ago, and I've been trying to find it ever since, but when Methuselah is born, Adam is still alive. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not even having the first man dead yet, and all of these generations are happening. And again, that's a blessing of the long lives that God has given to them, and I think also helps to bring out some of the things that are reasons why the people are named the way they are. Like Mahalalel uh, is, uh, you hear, you know, Hallelel, you know, we first probably think of as Hallelujah. Or, or hallelujah, and that's exactly what it is. You know, it's the praise of God that is to be there, and which is, again, going back to the end of chapter 4, with when people began to call upon the name of the Lord. They were even doing that in naming their children. Uh, probably the one name we actually still use in this entire list, except for Noah, uh, would be Jarek. Uh, which mm-hmm. is one of those odd names uh, when we get to the Hebrew, because it has this idea of descent. And we could go a couple of different ways with what this descent means. That either it is going back through the rest of them, the substitute, which is a man who is the praise of God, you know, descending. Well, where is he descending from and where is he descending to? We could go multiple different ways with that. Uh, but I, I would say that would be the descent of Jesus coming down from the throne of heaven to be incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That, again, we got the idea of the incarnation happening here, even in the midst of this genealogy that the promise is still being there. But then we get to Enoch, which is where everybody wants to stop, because even when the author to the Hebrews is writing this, his Hall of Fame chapter in chapter 11, he wants to spend a lot of time on Enoch. And what do we know about Enoch? Well, he walked with God, and then God took him. Okay, great. What more can we say about him? 
Biblically, that's about it. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but as I said earlier, there has been a lot of books attributed to him, especially in the time after the Babylonian captivity, up until a little before the birth of Jesus, that have all sorts of wild things about him, which can be interesting to read, but taking uh, taking it with a grain of salt. But Enoch, as not being the uh, his, you know, I guess you know, great 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 uncle, who would be the son of Cain, who established the first city, he actually walks with God. He understands that this world. I mean, even we we have the gospel hymn: "This world is not my home. I'm just passing through." And that's kind of the difference between the two Enochs, between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Cain builds a city and names it after his son Enoch. Hmm. Adam, or Seth's great-great-great-great-great-grandson walked with God to be wherever he was, and then God takes him. And we look to his son, Methuselah, as being you know, the person who has lived the longest. But think about it for a second. Like Elijah, Enoch never died. Hmm. It's true. And so we, we talk about who, you know, which person has lived the longest. Well, that would be Enoch. Right. And, you know, we... Uh, and how, how long his life has been, we don't know. But as we get to him and to the next couple of generations, then we see kind of the stark difference between the faithfulness of Enoch and then where the world was going that caused God to send the flood. And so as we look at walking with God, it's it's a unique thing, first of all, that he was taken by the Lord. We don't know much about that whatsoever, but we do know that he was. And walking with God, I'm reminded of the hymn, Chief of Sinners, Though I Be. And I just want to read that because I think that connects us so beautifully with what you're speaking about with connecting to Christ. Uh, Chief of Sinners, Though I Be, stanza three. Only Jesus can impart comfort to a wounded heart. Peace that flows from sin forgiven, joy that lifts the soul to heaven, faith and hope to walk in God with God in the way that Enoch trod. Now, Pastor, right there, it talks about walking with God like Enoch, and I find that interesting because, you know, walking in the light of Christ is another song I remember singing. And and walking with God, what does that mean? That brings us back to Adam and Eve and any any thoughts on how someone says, Pastor. How do you walk with God like Enoch? What would you say to them? That would be simply being in the Word and not not just sitting here and reading through it and going, okay, I've gotten from Genesis through Revelation, now I'm done. Or, you know, those who are a little more pious, okay, I'll start over again. And you know, true. You know, the confirmation kids usually ask me if I've, if I've actually read through the entire Bible. And right. I'd say, yes, I've read through it more times than I can count. Not to be boastful, but A, it's my job. B, it's 
the lifestyle of the Christian is to be not only knowing what the Word says, but letting the Word dwell richly in you, as Paul tells the Colossians. And also with that is the fact that things go wrong in the world, and we need the comfort of the Word. My, the hymn I was thinking of was, Let Us Ever Walk with Jesus. Ah, good point, yep, yep. And you, get, you get those four verses, you know, let us ever walk with Jesus. Let us suffer here with Jesus. Let us gladly die with Jesus. All leading to a, the final verse, let us also live with Jesus. You know, he has risen from the dead. It's that dwelling of the word in us that causes our joy to continue to celebrate Easter you know, long after the Easter breakfast is over and the church services are done, that we are still celebrating. Even yes, it is the day after Ascension. It's <laughs> true. You know, it's still Easter for another. Hallelujah. Still that time for celebration. But again, we also know that there is suffering, there is death in the world. And that's where the difference between Enoch is in this chapter. Is, you know, and Enoch was not, for God took him. Where everybody else, he lived however many years, and he died. And we'll see that again with the next, with the last couple of generations in this chapter, and it ends, and they died. And those deaths actually get us to have a few more questions uh, than the rest of the text itself. So I'd like I'd like to spend a little time working with Methuselah and Lamech. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's where you know it, it is. It is. I, I love. I love what you're saying. Is because it it all connects. And and when you have uh, that hymn, let us ever walk with Jesus, let us ever walk with Jesus, follow his example, pure, flee the world in which deceives us and to sin our souls allure, that God is giving us examples in this text for us to follow, not follow in the sense of God, not follow in the sense of Jesus or something, you know, but we do have that example before us, which is why I encourage you, our listeners, that in your congregation, there are those people who have walked the walk, talked the talk, and you want to be like them. You know, so my encouragement is you for to pray for them, and maybe encourage them a little bit and say, "No, you have been a real mentor for me in faith," because that is so important for us to be able to express. One, you don't know um, when the Lord will bring these people back to Himself. At the same time, it it means so much to know that the Lord has worked through you. In your life, because you know the, the Lord works despite ourselves so many times, and so this really, I'm seeing this as a great step back for us to be able to look at those who are in the faith, to see them who died in Christ, and this is like doing a funeral. Like I have a funeral here. Actually, I have a funeral here today at Messiah Lutheran Church. That this individual was one who walked to walk, talked to talk, and confessed and fought the good fight, and therefore we're able to say those promises of God were for him. And those promises of God are also for you. So, Pastor, let's continue on, as you said, um, with Methuselah and Lamech. And, uh, yeah, we'll just go to the end and just keep talking through those dynamics. So, verse 25 until the end of chapter 5. 
When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we get to some names we recognize in here, but you wanted to highlight both Methuselah and, and, and Lamech. What do you want to bring up? Well, first we have Methuselah with the longest earthly life, mm-hmm. but, you know, constantly living on Earth. And then you have his son Lamech, who has the shortest lifespan of anybody that we've talked about. Ah, yeah. I mean, ever, uh, the, next, the next earliest one would be uh, somebody just, uh, who was it now? Uh, Eight hundred ninety-five years. Oh, okay. But, you know, it's <laughs> you know, it's one of those where you've got this great span, and it's like, okay, what causes that drop in the age? If everybody else is living, you know, nine hundred plus years, why does Lamech only live seven hundred and seventy-seven? Huh. And as I said, I had had all this lined out in a timeline, and. What struck me is Lamech and Methuselah die the same year. Hmm. If you map all of the numbers out, they die the same year. Guess what else happens in that year? Uh, you, you tell us. I'm excited to hear. That's the year of the flood. Oh, okay. So now you get the question, okay, did Methuselah and Lamech die in the flood or did they just die earlier in the year? And of course we're not told. Right. But I I think that gives us a great dynamic for understanding the anguish of Noah through the hundred years of building the ark. You know, the only ones who believe his preaching are his wife and his three sons and their wives. I mean, you've got his father who's still alive. You've got his grandfather who's still alive. Were they ones that were swept away by the flood? I mean, that. I mean, for myself, that would be a difficult thing, you know, to mm-hmm. be there doing the work of the Lord and having your the people who raised you completely turn their backs on you. Mm-hmm. And so that brings the, the emotions into these lineages as well, that you have the flood, you have those family members, you have obviously other family members who would have been swept away in that flood because although Noah's three kids were there, it doesn't mean his cousins or uncles or other people were not swept away. 
And that's that brings a whole new dynamic. Or I remember watching the movie Noah, which, by the way, is not a real clear biblical movie by, by Russell Crowe. But it did capture, and we're going to talk about this more when we get to the flood, but it did capture the emotions of is that when that boat was about to take off with all the water, there were people outside who did not live. And it wasn't like they were just kind of down and out. They probably were knocking on that door ready to go in. And so that really brings out the emotions. And we get the feeling of the grief for someone like Noah, which is understandable why he reacted the way he did when he was done. Now I'm going way ahead of myself. But it, but it shows that it wasn't, Noah was not just in his, in his own world, that there was a whole family and the grief that they must have had was, was significant. Anything else, Pastor, in these verses? Well, and then uh, the one thing with Noah also, not only just the, uh, you know, the cousins and everything, but uh, we're not told if uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are Noah's only children. Ah, good point. Yeah. Uh, the rest, the rest of the generations, it talks about they had other sons and daughters. Huh. You know these, you know these are the faith. You know, this is the faithful few in this family. And you know, as you go through genealogies and family trees and all this, a lot of times people want to go and you know break out all the branches to have all the children listed. And God says, no, that's not important. What's important is getting through just who it is, direct line between Adam and Noah, and getting to that point where now we talk about why Noah is important. And then we'll have Noah on down to Abraham, and then we'll talk, then we'll see why Abraham is so important. So we, we have this. Go ahead. You know, oh, go ahead. The, Keep going. This is great. The, you know, the emotions are there. I mean, as you said earlier, these are real people in real history that have real life connections to everybody else on the list. So yes, I have I have not seen Noah. I did see the episode in the Bible miniseries on the flood, mm-hmm. and I think the one thing they got right is Noah was Scottish, but <laughs> that can be completely up to debate. Oh, but shoot. yes, you have you have that to where okay, you've not not only just people, you know, that are like on Cain's side of the family, but you've got the people that you know, your brothers and sisters, cousins, all of this, you know, you know, parents, grandparents, children. Oh yes, likely trying to tread water next to the ark, banging on the doors, trying to get in any way, shape, or fashion onto the ark as the water is coming up. And there's no way for them to get in. This is the this is the essence of the judgment of the flood. And you've got next week worrying about getting through the flood and all of that and highlighting that. So I won't I won't try to steal anybody's thunder from that. <laughs> and I I've kind of been doing that already, so I'm I'm ruining it for everybody. But it, well, it, it how could you not connect this to the flood? Like you said, with with Lamech and and his family, and called his name Noah, saying, "Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, and one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands." How could some, someone not read that, knowing the full story, and wonder, okay, hmm, how did Noah do that exactly? And it definitely was not 
the way that you would envision that Noah did this or that his name, uh, what no, the meaning he, of it is. Right. Lamech probably never even considered exactly what would happen with Noah. Cause yeah, he's taking it straight out of the ground, you know, chopping the trees to then make the ark, you know, literally the ark coming from, from the ground. And then as the flood goes in talking about the, deep to opening up mm-hmm. that, you know, and that's the rest is the people who are inside the ark. Just like, the, just like in most churches, you have the, the sanctuary set up as an upside down boat. Right. You have that peak there, but then, you know, everything inside, you know, it's the, it's a sanctuary because it's a place of rest and peace. And yes, Noah brought about an era of rest as they spent the time on the ark. But guess what? The rest was over when they got out of the ark and had to repopulate the earth again, much like God had told to Adam and Eve. Now it's up to these three sons who have a great story for them that I will leave for when you get to that in chapters 9 and 10. But we have this promise of rest that continues on. And it's no, it's no accident that you have this boat imagery continuing on throughout the scriptures. And you get to the disciples that Jesus calls. Most of them were fishermen. Most of them, their entire livelihood came from the boats that they probably had built themselves. And how much they might have thought about that and the, and the story of Noah and the flood every time they went out. and the rest that they were looking for once they got done with the work. It, it reminds me also of Luther's flood prayer that he, he speaks, Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. Yet according to your great mercy, you preserved, believing Noah and his family. Eight souls in all, you drowned the hard-hearted Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. But through baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be blessed, a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. We see that play out of the mercy that the Lord had on the people of old and the mercy that he has on us. And Luther just brings it together beautifully as we look at all this drowning and living and and the understanding of how that he would bring relief to the world from from our work of our hands and the painful toil of 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 our hands, it says there. And we receive this connection to baptism through Noah, you know, through the Noah, the flood, and all of this. And we're going to talk about more. I guarantee I'll bring this up again when we get to chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, but it, it kind of whets the palate to understand 
the grace and mercy of the Lord working through his people. And, and to see this flood prayer, which reminds us every day we die and rise in Christ. Pastor, we have about three minutes left in our time. Any last thoughts before we end our time together? Well, the one other thing to bring up, which may have been brought up yesterday, may, may have run out of time for, uh, is the connection back to the genealogy of Cain in chapter 4. The end of it and how it meshes with possibly the end of the uh, genealogy getting to Noah. Because who was the last person named in the genealogy of Cain? Oh my. Where are we looking at this? Where are we looking? Uh, we're looking at uh, verse 22 mm-hmm. of chapter 4. Uh, let's see here. Like, 22. Order of instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Nama. Is that what you're looking at? That's what I'm looking at. Okay. All right. So tell me more. You, all right. You, you and I have probably, I, I know I have <laughs> been through the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew's gospel numerous times. Oh, yeah. Teaching it as a uh, Advent series. The women are named specifically. Most genealogies don't do that. Now we have Ada and Zillah, the other Lamech's wives, as being the first uh, recorded polygamist. But now, why would we name and end the genealogy of Cain with a daughter? With the only connection being being the sister of. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm of the minority that I believe she's named specifically because she is the wife of Noah. Oh, okay. Noah's okay. wife is not ever named specifically. But why would you end it that way? Because God always has a purpose with it. Hmm. And so what, a, what is important about her? And, of course, we're not given the ages for Cain's descendants. But, you know, what if she is Noah's wife? What does that tell us? It tells us that God's forgiveness and his salvation is for everyone. Even if they are on the other side with Cain, there was still forgiveness available for them. But it also reminds us there's that forgiveness available for us. No matter how horrible we might think our sins are, there is still forgiveness available for us. And now that's one of those sidebars that you know, may or may not be. And if you know somebody wants to take offense with it, we, we can definitely get in contact and we can talk about it. Yeah. Because people have been doing that for centuries. That's... <laughs> That's what we do, you know, we let the word of God speak, and and right there, you're speaking the truth, and that truth is that God is merciful, and God is forgiving, and if that was true, then we know it fully there, but we also know that Seth was a substitute, and it is Christ, ultimately, who is your substitute, but we are out of time, so Pastor Doug Minton 
of our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 5. Pastor, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.